Well, thanks, Deirdre, and thanks, everybody, for being here tonight and with us for this last sermon out of the series on Who is Jesus, as we look at the person of Jesus and his teachings. And tonight's teaching here out of Matthew 15 is a, a kind of bizarre and interesting one where Jesus really gets cornered by these scribes and Pharisees with this direct question about washing hands and why they need to be doing that and why they're not doing it. And, and so as we kind of approach the text, it's, it's helpful to look at the, the setting here. So Jesus is in Galilee. This is chapter 15 of Matthew. Before this, he has just fed the thousands. I mean, Galilee is to the north of Jerusalem. It's a multi-day journey north of Jerusalem. So I mean, it's a, it's a whole different region. It's a region that's a lot more rural in nature. It's a lot more diverse in nature, too, from just an ethnic standpoint, religious standpoint. Uh, if you're down in Jerusalem, you look at the Galileans as kind of rebels who are known for kind of just doing what they want to do because they want to do it and not necessarily following what they say to do in Jerusalem. I mean, you can see why Jesus would have so much fruit in Galilee and how he would be this amazing you know, teacher and preacher to these people who are really eager to hear about this new way of living and this new way that Jesus is giving. And so it's really at the height of his ministry in Galilee that these scribes and Pharisees are sent from Jerusalem, which is really pretty profound and surprising and just in that sense, that Pharisees and scribes, hearing of what Jesus is doing, go multi-day up to Galilee just to ask, why aren't you washing your hands? It seems like a pretty weird question to, to that's how you're going to get Jesus is why are your disciples not washing their hands when they eat? And it's helpful to remember who these people are that are asking this of Jesus. And, and George has gone through these things a little bit too as we've gone through these sermons. But, you know, you have scribes and you have Pharisees. And scribes, scribes know the legal code. They know the law. They are the, really the only ones who know the law. And they're the only ones who can really write up legal documents. And, and by law, meaning not just moral and ethical laws, because for Israel at this time, the Pentateuch, the law, is a moral law, but it's also the legal code of everything, of property ownership, of passing it on, all of those things. Everything has to be legally interpreted through the lens of the Pentateuch, through the law. So a scribe is an incredibly important person in Jewish society. You have to have a scribe. If you're going to get married, if you're going to get divorced, if you're going to pass on property, anything, a scribe has to write the document for you. These are lawyers in kind of our modern world. So a scribe is someone who's really respected and looked up to in society as very necessary. This is not a tax collector. This is not somebody despised, but rather this is somebody who is really revered, someone who's respected for their knowledge, their knowledge of the law. And then you have the Pharisees. And when we think of Pharisees, the Pharisees are an influential sect within Judaism. They're not the majority group of Jews, but they're a group of Jews. And predominantly, they're made up of middle-class businessmen. Like, they're very successful in business. They more or less rule the synagogues that they're a part of. And they're known for their zealousness in following God's law because they follow God's law and they follow the tradition of the elders is what they're known for. And they're really popular with the people. The people really look up to and respect the Pharisees because they're successful, influential men who don't just follow the law. But they go even farther than following the law. They go, and in their devotion for God, they follow everything else. 
And it kind of works with that logic of if following God's law is good, if that pleases the Lord, if God's law is good and it's good to follow that, great, I will do that. Well, then surely it is even better to follow God's law and follow the traditions that our elders have laid down for us as good. We will follow both. I follow God's law and I follow the traditions and the interpretations of the law. You know, I, I'm, why would you be, why, why settle for just the law, right? Why settle for just good enough? I will go as far as I can in my devotion to the Lord. I will follow the law and I'll follow my elders. I follow every tradition that is passed down. That's really what the Pharisees are doing. And so they're really respected by the people in terms of their lifestyle, their success, their devotion to the Lord. And these two groups then, Matthew uses them, right, in the text to the reader and also to, this, to the crowd, are looking at these two figures, these two groups, as really some of the most respected religious figures of the day. Right? These, are, these are two very influential and respected people who are coming, groups of, who are coming and trying to really get Jesus. They're the most knowledgeable of the law, and they're the most pious examples of a life, of a good life. You'd look at those Pharisees, and the people would say, that's the life I wish I had. Successful businessmen, pleasing the Lord, devoted to him in all of these ways, following wholeheartedly and doing all these things and more and more than anyone else. Like These are people that would be looked up to and respected. And then they try to get Jesus with this question. Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? Which is a weird question. But it's it's a question where there's a lot of layers of other questions that they're really asking Jesus in this. And they're really asking Jesus, how do you view the traditions of the elders? How do you view Judaism as a whole? How are you viewing the law and the role of the law in all of these things? Because this particular law, washing your hands before you eat, is not a law, as Matthew points out. It's a tradition of the elders. It started sort of as a law. In the Pentateuch, there's a law given to priests that priests are to wash their hands before they sacrifice. So the scribes and the Pharisees over generations decided, well, if it's good for a priest, and if we're a nation of priests, we should all wash our hands before we eat or offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and the meal is the most appropriate time for that. So therefore, everyone should wash their hands before they eat, just like a priest should. And you kind of walk down that line where you, have, you start with the law and then you just kind of add to it or add it and make it going forward and more to everybody now and not just to the priests. And so this tradition has been pushed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are for sure following that tradition. It's unclear how many else within Judaism are following this tradition, but the Pharisees are sure all on board with washing hands before eating. And they really want to catch Jesus in this. And so both groups are kind of sitting back and waiting for Jesus on this one. The scribes are waiting back to see what Jesus' knowledge of the law is like because they're legal experts. And the Pharisees are ready to jump on Jesus because of his lack of piousness or devotion. You know, he's going to disrespect the elders or disrespect this, this law. And then Jesus answers them. And he answers, and through the text, you can kind of see he talks to the Pharisees first. Then he talks to the crowd, and then he talks to his disciples. 
And right away to the Pharisees, he addresses them first. And he goes right for the jugular. He doesn't attack their understanding of the law. He doesn't get into a legal debate with them about, you know, that actually isn't a law. That was something else. Nope. He just goes right in and says, you guys are hypocrites and liars. And he tells them, your faith is in vain and you're making the word of God completely void. It was not what they were expecting. Certainly not what they were anticipating Jesus was going to respond with, that he would just call them out like this. And in fact, and, he, and then he brings up evidence of this issue as he calls out how they're breaking a commandment by holding to one of their traditions. And so that what's referenced here in the text, what was going on, so one of the commandments is to honor your mother and father. Well, a tradition was developed because as they move back into Jerusalem, the temple becomes a bigger and bigger deal. And so they said, you know what? Instead of a family, if you don't have to necessarily financially provide for your, your family. You should. That would be great. That's the law. Honor your mother and father. And so Jews had always taken that to mean kind of a, you're on the line for your family. You're on the line for your mother and father. If something happens to them in their old age, or they, you should take care of your parents. Well, the Pharisees said, look, you could also, though, give to the temple, and that will count as taking care of your parents. Because if you give to the temple, we'll take care of your parents. So therefore, if you give us your estate, if you leave us money, if you give your assets to us, you will fill that requirement of taking care of your parents. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll fulfill that one for you. Jesus is saying, right, your love of your tradition, or you're holding on to your traditions, is actually going contrary to God's law. It's violating the law because you're following closely to this one tradition. Then Jesus pulls the crowd. He's had, it, he's had it out with the Pharisees and the scribes, calling them hypocrites and liars and showing them how they're misusing God's law. And then he pulls the crowd, gathers the crowd together, and he says, right, and gives this command, that it's not what goes in a person that makes them unclean, but what comes out of the mouth. And if you were in the crowd, I mean, even now, it's like, what, Jesus? <laughs> this is groundbreaking teachings. It's not what goes in that makes you unclean, but it, rather it's what comes out. And I don't know if we, it, you know, it's helpful to pause. I mean, there's, there's no religious leader in the world who's ever uttered something close to this. You know, people like to say how, you know, all religions are the same or all religious leaders are more or less the same, ethical teachings are all the same. This, no, no, none, none have ever said this. Every religion has been based on a set of holiness codes and rules. Don't touch these things. Don't do these things. Don't eat those things. And if you do, if you break those rules, if you eat this, if you do that, you are now unclean. And you have to go through some process to make yourself clean again. Right? Even Moses gives these types of commands. I mean, no one has ever said, no religious leader, founder of her faith has ever said, it doesn't matter what you do outwardly. That doesn't, that's not what makes you unclean. What Jesus is telling the crowd, right, in front of the Pharisees and the scribes, is religion and tradition can't keep you clean. Your adherence to a religion, your adherence to traditions, your adherence to appearance doesn't keep you pure. It doesn't make you pure. It's all a farce and an empty show. 
Jesus is going to use this analogy often with the Pharisees of whitewashed tombs. You're going to look good on the outside, but it's just a show. It's all in vain. It's an emptiness. It's what's inside that's going to matter, not what's on the outside, not what's coming in on the outside, but rather what's going to come out. Then Matthew transitions into the disciples, and the disciples are clearly confused and offended as much as the Pharisees and probably the crowd as well that he made a mockery of these Pharisees and scribes, right? I mean, Peter goes to Jesus now and says, you know, I mean, Jesus, don't you know, you really offended the Pharisees with those statements. That was pretty harsh. Can you explain, you know, what you're doing? Right, and Jesus just says, right, don't, don't worry about the Pharisees. You know, let the, they're the blind leading the blind. They're all going to fall into a pit. God's going to uproot, right? Like, don't worry about their being offended at my words. What matters, right, is is the truth. And then Peter's like, well, explain it to us then. Tell any, you know, said like, explain this parable as if Jesus gave a parable. He didn't. He was pretty straightforward. But explain it to me, Jesus. What, because it's, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, this teaching. How can something not make me unclean if I take it in? Like, that's the definition of holiness things. If, I mean, if I do this or if I drink this, eat that, like, I'm now unclean. And he's saying, that's not what makes you unclean. And Jesus, again, patiently sits with his disciples and says, look, it's not about what goes in. What goes in goes through your body and comes out. But it's about what comes out of your heart. It's not about appearance. It's not about controlling the circumstances around you. It's not about the inputs that make us unclean. But rather, it's the heart. And then Jesus goes into these, it's the evil thoughts It's the murder, it's the adultery, it's the sexual immorality, the theft, the false witness, and the slander. It's the outputs that come out of us that make us unclean, not the things that come in. Now, this teaching is hard, and Jesus is hard, and hopefully that's become apparent throughout all of this series. I mean, if there's probably a big theme of this series on who is Jesus, right, it's that. Jesus is offensive, and hard to handle at times. And his teachings and the gospel, it can be really difficult for a lot of people to handle. And this message that Jesus is giving of outward appearance not mattering, it means nothing, that is world-shattering. That our greatest need is not our appearance, but rather is our heart. Because we all have this deep need to make ourselves right and pure. I mean, this is why the Pharisees are doing what they're doing. This is why people are following the Pharisees. And we all recognize that need. We all have this within us, of the feeling that we need to be made pure, clean, right. Because, as Jesus points out to the Pharisees, it's still to us too. I mean, we are constantly compromising ourselves. Like, Stuff is always coming out of me. In our hearts, right, there are desires and thoughts that keep coming out. The desires and thoughts within me, they come out of me. They come out in fits of anger. They come out in anxiety. They come out in fear, in sexual immorality, in deceit, in theft. I mean, you name it, right? Like, it's always bubbling out. There's something within my heart 
And so we often feel, right, and if we're honest with ourselves, right, like how often, but we, we often feel morally dirty. Right? All of us feel this way, often. Right? If we're really honest and look at ourselves and look at our thoughts and our feelings and what comes out of us, we feel just dirty, and I need to do something to make this clean. I got to do something to make this right. I got to make amends. And so we have this desire to be made pure. We have this desire to be clean. So what do we do? We run to religion to deal with it. That, religious, that religiousness in us is the default setting. I think Tim Keller uses this often, right? It's like the default setting of our human hearts. Like it, I, I can turn it to a different setting, but man, it, it'll always default back to religion. I always am going to want to do something. All right, I feel unclean. I feel compromised. I don't feel right. I know I've done wrong things. I know my heart has produced. I know there's something wrong with me. I get it, Jesus. I get it. I don't like these things. I don't like these thoughts. I don't like these actions. I get it. I get it. So just tell me what I got to do, and I'll do it. All right, give me a system. Give me a set of rules to follow, and I'll follow it. Religions always have followers, right? And if you ever wondered why, like, why are there so many religions? Why do so many people follow these people? Cults and all kinds of crazy things. Because we are desperate for anybody who can tell us, if you do this, you will be clean and holy and righteous. If you just go down that road, come with me down this, and it'll end up this way. Right? People flock to that because we're all desperate for it. The problem with religion and traditions and rituals and all these things is that they don't work. This has been the experience, right? We try religion, we try to be pious, we try these things, but they are, it just keeps bubbling up, we keep sinning. So then we go beyond the initial set of rules, right? And you say, and this is all religions do this. You start out with the initial teachings of the teacher that says, here, this is my path to follow, to live a good life, to be holy, do these things and don't do these things. And then very quickly, you develop a super group within that group. We follow that and we follow more. And we do this more and more of these things. For the real holy, we'll do it this way. And you, we keep trying to cover up the ugliness. We keep trying to give this appearance of godliness by following more and more, or piling more and more, or trying to control more and more of those outward circumstances, those inputs. Because if I can just control the inputs around me, I can stop the outputs, right? If I can just figure out and work around all of the circumstances around my life, I won't act this way anymore. If I just don't do these things, if I'm not around these type of people, if I just don't have this there anymore, right, it'll take care of itself. And it feels like it works for a little while, it keeps us distracted, but it doesn't ultimately help because those things are always still there. It's hollow and it's vain, which is what Jesus is telling us. It's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the scribes and the crowd, right? Like this, your efforts, it's hollow and it's in vain. It's not doing anything. It's pointless. Religion and tradition is ultimately pointless. You can't stop trying to be pure or to make others pure through your control of external circumstances because it just won't work. All we do is create judgment, division, and fear. So hearing this message of Jesus, you can see why the Pharisees would be so hurt and offended 
I'm a hurt and offended. I mean, hearing that outward appearances mean nothing is really hard to hear for those of us that are pretty happy with the way that our appearance is. Right? The more comfortable you are with your outward appearance of your life, the harder it is to hear that your outward appearance doesn't matter. Because I worked really hard for this appearance. <laughs> I worked really hard to build this life and my family and all of these things. So now to tell me that doesn't matter, well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not on board with that. But for those of us who are tired and heavy burdened, who are weary, who feel like we can never live up to the expectations that everybody has for us, who feel like we don't fit in or could ever fit in, who are tired of burdening and controlling everybody around us with our fear and our anxieties, and this is good news. We can stop trying to measure up. We can stop trying to control everything around us. We can stop living in fear. Because Jesus' words here in Matthew 15, they only really make sense in light of his death and resurrection at the end of Matthew. Right? Because for Jesus to say that religion doesn't work, right? well, then what does, Jesus? I mean, you've got to give me something. You know, that crowd in Galilee, they can hear this, and that's a great thing to tell me that the Pharisees, this isn't, this isn't what I need to do, but, I mean, what am I supposed to do? And when Jesus dies and he resurrects from the dead, right, he shows us and gives us this way to make us pure. Because Jesus, Jesus actually is the one who can make us pure. He lived the life that we were meant to live, and he died for the life that we actually live in order that we would be forgiven, fully, completely forgiven. All the laws, everything from the Old Testament, all laws, all rituals, all traditions, all religions in the world are all pointing to Jesus. It's always been about him and leading to him as the ultimate and true sacrifice for sin, an ultimate once and for all death and resurrection that makes us pure that washes away sin. Our sinful hearts have been cut out and removed from us and replaced. We have been completely and utterly forgiven for every evil thought, murder, act of adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, whatever Jesus can... It's all been forgiven. Amen. Once and for all. How can anything make us unclean now if we've been completely forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Nothing. I can't take in anything that's going to make me unclean. Jesus has made me clean. His death and his resurrection makes us clean. How can I freely and gladly give up all of my religious efforts? Right? It's hard to give up religion. I think a lot of us are fairly addicted to religion and to control and effort. It's, I don't like to turn that setting to a different setting. How can we no longer worry about all the ungodly influences and external circumstances around us, right? How can I be confident that nothing I do outwardly isn't going to taint me, make me unclean, make my father no longer love me? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead, changing hearts, Christ has made us clean. And can you see what difference that makes now? If the, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, if we have really been made clean, 
if I died when he died and rose when he rose, and if I've really been forgiven, fully forgiven, like really forgiven, not just partially, that's what's hard to believe, right? It's like, I believe I was forgiven, but he's not going to keep forgiving me. No, fully forgiven. If all of my sins have been forgiven and I am pure, if that is really true, that's going to change the way that we live in this world. We no longer live in fear of our neighbor or what kind of neighbor we live with now or by and if there'll be a negative influence on our family or on me, right? I don't have to live in fear of my neighbors. I can actually love my neighbors. I no longer have to live in fear of our culture. I can seek the welfare of the city knowing that nothing my culture does ultimately affects my standing before Christ. I no longer have to live in fear and try to control my children, but rather I can love my children and trusting God with them. It changes our relationships with other people, right? If they, it changes our relationship within the body of Christ. If there's no distinctions in the body of Christ, within the family of God, if we are both all equally and totally forgiven, we're brothers and sisters. What a beautiful thing. We're not followers and leaders. We're brothers and sisters. There's not this inner circle of morally righteous and an outer circle of the less morally righteous, and we're trying to get you to become more morally righteous to join those of us on the inner circle. Now, there is, biblically, those who are mature, right? And let's be clear about that. But being mature does not mean that you are without sin. Being mature means that you are able to see your sin very clearly and your need for Christ and for the gospel that you live this honest, wholehearted life before God and the body. What it does is it creates a real confidence and honesty in life. Because what Jesus is calling us towards, right, and really what he's calling the church to and all of us to, is to live a life of wholehearted, trusting God. But that requires us to be honest. It requires us to be honest about our hearts. It requires us to be honest about our desires. It requires us to be honest about what's coming out and less focused on what's coming in, about those outward circumstances. That's where we like to control and make the appearance and feel good, but we have to be honest about what's actually being revealed that comes out, not what comes in. It will require honesty. And it's going to require us to actually stop trying to fix ourselves all the time or trying to fix our circumstances and control others. It involves being willing to let go of our traditions and our our man-made religions, right? Because we are just like the Pharisees. We make all kinds of religions. You know, we don't even realize we're making those religions, right, until they get threatened or these traditions, these rituals that we have. A real Christian doesn't right? You fill in the blank, right? We don't even know we're doing it. We just do it until we're coming into contact with somebody who doesn't do those things. Oh, I've got to be confronted by these things. We have to be honest about our hearts. We have to be honest about our traditions. We have to be honest enough to recognize our weakness and our need for Jesus. We need to be a people that's honest with God, honest in prayer, and honest and wholehearted in life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for, Lord, for everything. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. 
Lord, we, our sin is always in front of us. Um, Lord, if we, had, if we kept a record, if we always had to look at the record of our sins, of our hearts, of our, of our desires, of the things that have come out of our mouth, uh, it'd just be overwhelming. Lord, thank you that you have dealt with our sin once and for all, that you have removed it from us, that you've removed it as far as the east is from the west. Lord, we thank you that you have given us uh, new selves. Lord, that, you, that when you died and rose, that we died and we rose with you. Lord, who are we that you would love us that much? And Lord, we just confess to you our lack of belief and trust and how quickly and easily we turn to trying to control turning to outward appearances, Lord, to traditions and rituals in our attempts uh, really to, to save ourselves. Lord, thank you for your love and your patience with us, for your spirit that you've given us that continues to remind us and draws us back to you and to the truth. Lord, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful, Lord, uh, for your son who you sent for us. Lord, we just pray that the truth of the gospel will become more and more real in our hearts. Lord, that you would give us the strength to really believe that we are who you say we are, that we will not become overwhelmed by the weight of our sin, but Lord, that we will become overwhelmed by the weight of your glory and of your love for us. Lord, help us not to live lives characterized and marked by fear, but rather lives that are marked by love. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.